This episode of The Savage Land is brought to you by Comic Bento. Uh, visit ComicBento.com and use the promo code SAVAGE for $5 off your first box. February is a cold, bleak, and short month. So what better time to curl up next to a warm fire or bath and explore some short stories that are really some tall tales. Almost 20 different stories across four books, genres, and universes, all inside one handy-dandy box. But hurry, as mentioned, it's a short month, and short stories slash tall tales will only be here until February 28th, 2018. Uh, This box, again, you can go to comicbento.com and use the promo code SAVAGE to get $5 off the short stories tall tales box. Uh, This should be a good one. I love 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 short stories in the form of comics um you know it looks like it'll be you know four different uh anthologies there uh there's a couple that i have in mind that maybe they'll be in that box but i have no idea i guess you will have to find out uh your first box is only twenty dollars with our promo code um and you can just do that one month plan and then you're out uh so if if some short stories sound like fun to you again visit comicbento.com and use the promo code savage for five dollars off Now on with the episode. Welcome back to the Savage Land. I am Jason Hammonds, and today we have another creator interview. Uh, I I, want to tell you all sort of a a little story or or almost a, a lesson to be learned uh, from something you sometimes you walk into the comic book store and you just sort of know those typical things that you're going to go for whether you're a, a Batman fan or or whatever you know you kind of know what's in your pull list you know the things that you're curious about and so you go to sort of the same uh, the usual suspects when you walk into the store um, and and the the thing that that does is it kind of loops you back into the same sort of voice or echo chamber uh, for the stories that you're taking in and. I've I've been a, a huge like I've I've had a problem with that in the past I guess is the the best way to phrase it. Um, but at some point uh, a few months ago I can't remember how many months ago this was I'm sure I could look it up but uh, I walked into uh, Meltdown here in L.A. and I was just grabbing basically the usual suspects and there was one cover while I was looking through and grabbing the stuff that was interested there was one cover that just popped out to me like bright yellowish orange with like this green text and. I uh, look at it, and the title is Quantum Teens Are Go. And I was like, well, that's a crazy interesting title. And I start looking through the pages, like, you know, two or three pages, and I'm like, okay, cool. This this seems like it's totally up my alley. It's like really interesting sci-fi time travel type stuff. Um, and, and I was hooked right away, so I, I picked it up and uh, immediately, like, went home, read it, had to, like, couldn't wait for the next issue to come out. End up getting all four issues of the series, uh, and when the series is done, I start feeling like, oh, geez, like I need to, I need to like get more of this. Like it was such a great, like I, I don't know, just just such a, a great feeling and such an interesting and, and fun comic. Um, and so there were a few things that I started doing. I, I start looking at, okay, who's this publisher, Black Mask? And anyone who's been listening to the show for a while has heard us talk endlessly about Black Mask and the things they're doing. Um, then I also start looking at the, the writer and the artist and everyone and, and following their stuff. And that leads me to Kim and Kim. Uh, and then I start seeing that this writer is doing other stuff with DC's young animal, who we've also talked about a lot on the show before. Um, and honestly that comic and, and Kim and Kim quantum teens are go, uh, the upcoming eternity girl, 
these comics are coming from one of the, I think, most exciting uh, sort of newer voices in comics right now, uh, Magdalene Visaggio, who is joining us on the show today and is our guest. Welcome to the show, Max. Thanks for having me. No Those problem. very nice things you said about quarantine, <laughs> a, book, a book that is very dear to my heart and which nobody read. It was uh, it was so good. I first off, like just just the design of that book was so like eye catching that that it I couldn't not notice it on the shelves. Uh, so props to uh, you know to whoever it was that designed the the cover. Um, uh, Eric ended up doing all the covers himself. I did the logo design, so nice. I'm pretty proud of that one. Yeah, I, as you should be. Uh, it was certainly enough to to get me to grab a random book from a publisher that I had uh, up to that point never heard of before. So props. Um, but uh, yeah. I, I, anyway, I Quantum Teens is is such a good book, and I guess maybe we'll start there and then kind of backtrack a little bit. But uh, for those listeners who don't know, tell them a bit about Quantum Teens, what it's about, and and sort of where the idea came from. <laughs> okay. Um, the Wickest way to describe Quantum Teens or Go is it's about a high school boyfriend and girlfriend, uh, Natalie and Sumesh, who break into abandoned super labs at night to steal the parts they need to build their time machine. It's a time travel story in which there is virtually no time travel. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good way to uh, to describe it. I, I assume you've uh, had that pitch practiced, huh? You've, you've got. I, I guess at least you've. Oh you've my god! Used like I I do a lot of cons. And so you need to have like your short pitches down. Um, I had a lot of time because it's a complicated story to sort of get it down to this really manageable shape um, to the point where I can I can sell the book pretty effectively. That's awesome. And and how has that been? So how long have you been actually going on the the convention circuit now? As you know, obviously that's sort of a necessary part of the business when you start writing comics. How how long have you been traveling to conventions now? I want to say I've been doing the concert for this will be my fifth year um last I mean usually it's been pretty small like previously I would just do a couple of shows a year um last year I did nine or ten shows this year I'm definitely doing six or seven at least mm -hmm. um possibly more I'm tr there's a couple of um there's a couple of shows I, w I would really love to do if I can get invited out there um I actually just got announced as a guest at C2E2, oh, which is going to be my my first time in Chicago. So I'm excited nice. about that. Um, and uh, yeah, so how yeah. how's that been? Like, what's what's sort of the adjustment for you uh, going through that? You know, traveling all the time and like you know selling to random people for you know three days on end. What's what's been the biggest sort of uh, hurdle to jump through on that? Mostly just getting my shit there. Um, mm. I've got enough stock at this point that it's not really worth it for me to just stick it into a suitcase so i'm gonna be like <laughs> everything um but like seriously i've been like hauling hundred pound suitcases through the airport full of stock um it's also going to be really nice not having to stock um single issues anymore because mm. i have trades of, of most of my stuff at this point mm. um <clears throat> so just like that's probably like the hardest part like it's not really an adjustment process mm -hmm. um at this point i guess when i first started it, it they're very tiring in ways you don't expect um, because you kind of run nonstop. Like you don't really even get time off mm. because as soon as the show's over, if you're lucky to have eaten, <clears throat> you know, show's over, you can maybe go grab some dinner, but then you're at the, for the creator, you're at Barkon and that's like the whole fucking night. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and that and Barkon's, Barkon's the reason that we all go like Barkon's <laughs> the point of conventions um, in a really big way because like comics is, is a really isolated 
an isolating job. Mm-hmm. Um, there, most of your colleagues don't live anywhere near you. Yeah, you're you're like even New York doesn't have a doesn't have a huge comic scene. Mm. Um, and New York itself is just fucking massive. So it's a it's a it's a an adventure to get groups together. Um, and when you're at a con, everyone's there. So you can, you can hang out with your friends, which is the, like, it's like, that's the reason we all love con so much is you get to see your friends. Um, and it's great, like interacting with fans. It's great, you know, making, you know, making sales, making some money, getting some, you know, uh, introducing your book to new people. Um, getting FaceTime with editorial is always yeah. great. But like the best part is you get to see these people that you got really close with over Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I I know that feeling I'm sure to a much lesser extent but it's it's like you know when doing this podcast you 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 know like I I meet people and talk to them or whatever but totally it's like a a voice over Skype or whatever and uh say yeah like same thing when I go to conventions and stuff the the bar afterwards of like talking to people and hanging out and actually getting to know those people I'm sure it's it's tenfold for you talking to other creators and and people like that that yeah you've just met through Twitter um yeah, it's great. And the cool thing is that when I first started doing the con circuit, like the the comics is so immediately welcoming. The creator community is you can just show up at BarCon and like and like Scott Snyder and Tom King are gonna be there and like you're like, Well, I have my dumb little self pub pub book, but like everyone's just really cool because we all know that we're all just we've all been there, you know? Yeah. We're all just trying to like get ahead and and, and do the thing that we love. And so it's just like really, like really immediately welcoming. The first time I ever met Justin Jordan, he hugged me. <sighs> Justin Jordan, notorious hugger. Yeah, Let I mean, and he's a fan, and he's a fantastic hugger too. Like, <laughs> he's great. He's he might be the nicest person in comics. Wow, it's pretty neck and neck between him and like Brendan Fletcher. Mm. Oh, Fletcher is a golden. Person. Fletch, as I call him. <laughs> and now, is that a hyphen uh, between the B and the Fletch, or is that a period? It's a period like J-Lo. Okay, got it. Yeah, got it. That's, that's good to that's know. That's right. Still making J-Lo jokes. <laughs> it's been 17 years. You know, I, I think J-Lo will always be as relevant as she ever she's ever been, as long as we can keep her alive in our hearts and minds. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace, J-Lo. Wait. <laughs> J-Lo's alive as long as we remember her. <laughs> exactly. She lives okay. off of people remembering her. Um, that's genius. Love it. <laughs> Uh, well, so let's let's kind of take it back, and, and uh, I'm curious, where did you grow up? Um, well, I'm from New York originally, but I grew up in Central Virginia, um, mm. in a suburb of Richmond. Um, it's like 20 minutes outside the city, so basically in Richmond. Mm. Um, yeah, it's and, a wonderful city. I love it. That's awesome. I actually, I, I'm realizing, like as you're saying that, I'm like, I realize I've never been to Virginia, so I have no even like point of reference for how Virginia, Virginia is. Virginia, I'm sorry, it's like the best state. Pardon, it's the best commonwealth. We're not a state. <laughs> okay. Um, but I live in New York now, and I've been up here for the last eight years. Moved up here for work after college. Oh, cool. Where'd you? Yeah. What'd you uh, go to college for? What was your? Like, you, oh, what did I go to college for? Yeah. I went to VCU for English um, because I thought I'd get to write, and it's mostly just literature. Mm. Um, so I read a lot of really good books and profoundly more really boring books and. <laughs> I managed to get into a couple of composition classes and those were the things I really sank my teeth into. But mm. yeah. That's and then I did graduate work in moral philosophy. So that was fun. So you've, you've got like all of the degrees that, uh, or, or all the, the sort of like majors that people always caution, uh, people about like, I don't know, it's going to be really hard to get job placement there. 
Yeah, yeah, but then, but yeah. then you made it work, and now you're you're writing comics for. for... I really love that aborted graduate degree in, in philosophy. That that uh, <laughs> that's really relevant to my current work. <laughs> hey, I'm sure I'm sure there's like little bits and pieces that seep in. You know what I mean? No, yeah, totally. Um, when I was first getting started writing comics, this mm. is before I, you know, when I was still in my undergrad, mm. like. I approached every comic, every single issue, like it had to solve a philosophical problem. And <laughs> I it's, know that feeling. Unre- it's unreadable. It's unreadable. Um, it's just, it's so preachy. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny. Cause I've, I've heard you talk about that uh, in interviews before. And, and it like, as soon as you started talking about like how, you know, when, when you wrote, at least from what I've heard, and, and you could tell me if, if this is wrong and I'm interpreting wrong, but you basically, I think you said at one point that Kim and Kim was something that you wrote uh, when you were trying to get over trying to make everything some big, like thematically heavy, uh, philosophical, you know, masterpiece. Was that? Yeah, like that's exactly accurate. Like I spent years and years and years being like, well, if I'm not a capital G genius, uh-huh. it's not even worth writing uh-huh. um and i reached a point uh, a few years ago um okay so i had this i had this self-published book called stronghold mm. which i was doing with a buddy of mine from college mm-hmm. and he's he's actually still working on it with a different writer um and like the basic idea was it was like power rangers and battlestar galactica okay <laughs> and and so and i really wanted it to be heavy like bsg and so we're working on this book slowly because neither one of us has the time or the work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, time's not the problem. It was just the work <laughs> ethic. We had tons of time, but it was like, well, I could be playing video games, um, which I don't do anymore because I'm writing constantly. Yep. Um, yep. But it was so heavy and so plotty. And I started to really start to like, really early on in that process, really start to get really frustrated with the the limitations we'd imposed on the book because it wasn't the kind of stuff I was interested in writing. Because mm-hmm. um, we've been carrying this idea forward for years. This is the second version of this book. Like I, that dumb philosophy heavy book in, in college, <laughs> that was the first version of Stronghold. Okay. okay. And then we were like, this book fucking sucks, but we learned a lot, <laughs> so let's start it again. And so I'm working on this book, and <clears throat> I'm just like, the the plot is so sprawling and brutal and it's just not satisfying me as a writer because like at this point it's you know 2012 2013 I can't remember what I was reading at the time I was just getting back into reading monthly books at that point um probably a lot of spider-man but I was just like like dance lot spider-man is a is a fun-ass comic (laughs) you know and it's like and uh, uh, as we moved into like 2013, 2014, a little bit, um, I'm reading like Squirrel Girl and Rat mm. Queens and, and and like the books that are really, you know, energizing me like Silver Surfer or these totally. these these really fun books where like there's there's emotional richness to it. But the but but they're not taking themselves so seriously. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's the shit I want to do. And so I did a uh, a little self pub. Um, of a title called Andrew Jackson in Space, which was kind of my attempt to sort of bridge that gap, where it was bo- it was going to be like sort of goofy, over the top fun, and then take a really dark turn. Mm. Um, but the dark turn was also going to be pretty goofy. And the whole point was I wanted to like show what a piece of shit Andrew Jackson was um, <laughs> by having to confront an evil cyborg version of himself from the future who makes <laughs> him like confront the fact it's like a visual 
he's visually a monster kind of thing. And I abort, I ended up aborting that book for a bunch of reasons. Mm. Um, most of least the uh, most of which were like, I feel like no one's going to get what I'm trying to do and they're just going to hate me. <laughs> so I never, so I, so we didn't finish the book. Um, and then when I, when, when, when we dropped that, I started <clears throat> putting together Kim and Kim. Mm-hmm. And so like the big goal with Kim and Kim was I wanted to do a comic where I got in addition to like not being like a big philosophical, like thematic heavy thing. Um, I just kind of wanted to get over my own, I guess, get out of my own way plot wise. Like I'm, a, I, I used to be the sort of person and I still am to an extent where I would like overanalyze my plots to the point that they would fall apart and mm. I couldn't write them. Like I'd get so caught up on, well, is this plausible? I'm have to make sure I've got every hole plugged. <clears throat> that I would just kind of like shut down and get paralyzed and not write because I was too busy trying to make it structurally perfect. Mm-hmm. And so with Kim and Kim, my logic was, well, I'm just going to say yes to every dumb idea I have and then sort it out later. <clears throat> you that know, which, yeah. which has become the book's kind of guiding philosophy. It's like, go big, go goofy, and then bring the emotional shit home. And so, um, yeah, it was a really valuable exercise. And... Like, I love that book to death, so I don't really think of it as just an exercise anymore. But, like, mm. at the point, that was really the thing I wanted to do, was I just wanted to write a comic that felt like the things I was enjoying. Yeah, it's it's so funny. Like, I... Because w- w- at the point that I that I heard uh, you talk about that stuff, like, it literally, it, it, like, came, like, days after I had just written, like, my, my first script in that type of mindset. Because I was going through the same things. Like, when I started hearing you tell that story, I was like, oh, my God, like... I'm actually, I feel like I, you know, it's when you feel like you hear someone who's, who's, you know, established, you know, and, and doing well at something, talk about the same sort of hurdle that you just climbed, you know, jumped over. You're like, oh, hey, maybe I, I made the right decision to stop, like, trying to be a genius or, like, you know, not accepting anything less than Alan Moore level of plotting and, and you know, uh, metaphor and whatever. Um, it really helps to realize that you're not Ellen Moore and you never will be. <laughs> well, like, but I really mean that. So yeah. at the Eisners this year, um, I was very surprised to be nominated. And I was up against Tom King's vision. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not going to win. And that's actually really liberating. Mm. And not just because, like, I wasn't going to win that, but, like, that just, like, the fact that they were in the same category was like, well, I'm not even close to that level. And that's okay. <laughs> That's okay. I th- That's like I, fucking crazy genius. I don't have to do that. I can just do Kim and Kim. Kim and Kim is fine. Mm. Like that's Kim and Kim is what it is, and it still got nominated right next to Tom King. Well, like, and I, and no I, one's I, no one's expecting you to be Tom King, and that's like the <laughs> best feeling. It's I, I I absolutely think that I I'm I'm sure that, that is the best feeling, but I also do think that uh, many readers would. Uh, contend that yes, absolutely, Kim and Kim deserves to be on that level. Um, well, they're they're all very wrong because it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, like I love that book to death, but man, it doesn't even come close to achieving like the 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 artistry with the form. Uh, yeah, and, and of course, like that that book, you know, the, not, the not complex to just... emotional resonances. <clears throat> I could talk about the vision all day. Oh, I I agree. The best I... comic the last thirty fucking years. Um, it is it is really damn good, and I've I've uh, yeah I, I I'm sure we could both start really uh, fanning off over over vision because it is fantastic. But I I think that uh, you'd sell yourself short not to say that uh, Kim and Kim is is absolutely wonderful and and well, uh, but, but, but that but that's not what I'm saying, and that's the important distinction. That's mm. the liberating part. 
is it's like there's no point in even comparing it because that's, that's not fair. what I'm doing. Yeah, they're different. They're different animals. So it's like I don't have to be that. I don't have to be operating at that crazy level to do a good comic book that people enjoy. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's the only thing I'm really trying to do is to to do a to make good comics that people enjoy. Mm. And so once I like it was really, it was a summer because like I, I still w- was wrestling with that where I was like, like I want to do something that's meatier and that's got like like you know a little bit more like like thought and intent behind it. Not that Kim and Kim Kim and Kim's the hardest thing I have to write. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, it's a, it's a very difficult book to put together, which you wouldn't think cause I want it to feel really breezy, mm-hmm. but, but I was like, I kind of want to like move into some other territory. Do lots and, of nine panel grids and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I actually really <laughs> love nine panel grids and I keep Same. on trying to find an artist who will agree to do them. Uh, <laughs> artists, a lot of artists don't really like that because it's, it's very small totally. and they feel, they feel con- a little bit more constrained, which is what I like about it. But anyway, mm. um, but yeah, it was just like, I still was like trying to overcome that that you know i i I really wish that i was doing this crazy like quote capital i important stuff Mm -hmm. and uh the the eisner situation just made me realize it's like oh well like what i'm doing matters and that's cool too and it can be its own thing it's like nobody says that bugs bunny isn't great Mm -hmm. even though bugs bunny isn't like fucking ulysses yeah like it's just a different thing and yeah. that's okay. That's that's a that's actually a kind of a, a great comparison. Yeah, it's just like both are are things that are going to to stand the test of time and and go down in the history books, but they're definitely out there for different reasons and have different sort of yeah. missions to accomplish. Yeah, and so like that was probably, I guess the most important thing I ever learned. Mm. Like it's not only okay to not be genius, but also like quality isn't determined by that. Yeah. That's that's awesome and I'm I'm I, I'm I'm so glad that uh, that a you you had that like realization in your head because it's obviously produced some some fantastic comics and and seemingly is going to continue to. Um, I'm curious, uh, did you did you read comics as a kid? Like growing up, when did you first like get into comics? My dad got me into comics when I was like seven or eight years old. I'm not really sure how old I was. My dad picked up some like action comics at a truck stop mm-hmm. <laughs> and gave me when I was a kid. And um, I then immediately switched over to X-Men because they had a cartoon show. Oh, yeah. There you go. Um, so I ended up deep, deep, deep in Marvel, which is weird because I mostly do work at DC now. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, like I actually just did a big thread about how I loved goofy 90s comics. Oh, that's awesome. You know, like... Um, like, everyone likes to shit on the Clone Saga, but I was, like, 11 mm-hmm. when that happened, and I fucking loved it. I was like, I don't know what's going on. It was great. It's like blowing your mind. Like, who's this Ben Riley guy? Oh, my God, everything I ever knew is shattered. Well, like, like I came in after Ben Riley had already been introduced to, like, Scarlet Spider was already swinging around okay. by the time I was reading Spy- uh, Amazing Spider-Man regularly. Mm-hmm. Um. But then I came in when everything started to, like, explode. <laughs> and, like, I came in, I think, right around the time that, no, it was a little bit before Peter hung up his webs and Ben Riley became full-time Spider-Man. I was like, oh, cool, so this is how it is now. I'm on the ground floor, and then it's, like, six months later. It's all undone. <laughs> but, then- you know, I was, I was into that. I loved, like, goofy 90s comics. I think it's so weird that I got so intent on basically remaking Powers and Sandman when yeah. the stuff that I grew up reading was like this, like over the top stuff, like that was the fun. And I always just want to, like with Kim and Kim especially, I just want to bring the fun. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. If everything's like dour and and you know super heavy and stuff like that, then comics stop being uh, as fun to read. It's it's having a good balance in the marketplace that that keeps it thriving. Yeah, and like, and I like dark. Like, I'm totally. a morbid person. <laughs> um, like my my uh, my my upcoming young animal book, um, Eternity Girl, is basically me meditating on being suicidal mm. um, as someone who has struggled with that a lot over her life. Wow. Um, and so like the, the book is just about that process of coping mm. and, but I'm trying to do it through the lens of, of sort of over the top, especially work, especially I'm trying to, to I'm not sure how much it's going to come across on the final product. Cause I, we, I have only seen art for the first like seven pages of the first issue at this point. Okay. But like in my head, there was so much like, like, like Kirby-esque silver age over the top mm. madness to it. Mm. Cause I, I still want it to feel comic booky, mm-hmm. even though it's so dark and Sony is like a genius and he's like chant. It's so crazy what he's doing. He's kind of like channeling alternately in the same comic, Daniel Klaus and Jack Kirby. Holy shit. And like, and that's like, <laughs> and like sort of bringing those styles together. It's, it's a really unique visual. I hope the script is is good enough to justify the incredible art he's producing. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's awesome. I like when I saw first off when I saw that you were doing a book for Young Animal, I got insanely stoked. And then when I saw Sunny Lou was the artist, I was like, oh my god, that's incredible! Like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, I it's it's I'm I'm crazy excited to see that. And when does when does Eternity Girl uh, come out? Um, Eternity Girl comes out March fourteenth. March we spent like ages trying to figure out like who we wanted to draw the damn thing. Mm. <clears throat> and, um, excuse me one second. Oh, yeah, you're fine. <clears throat> and, um, like we were tossing these names around like Mike Diodato, Chris Anka. Um, you know, just like, just, I can't remember everyone we were talking about. Um, and at some point I would just like started thinking about, um, the, the new 52 Dr. Fate. And I was like, that's kind of the right vibe. And I threw out the Sonny Lou and it, the edit, my editor at the time was Jamie Rich. Uh, mm. The book's now being edited by, uh, by Andy Corey, um, mm. who actually edited Sonny on, on Dr. Fate. So it's kind of perfect. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but Jamie was like, yeah, that would totally fit. And Gerard was like, oh, that's fucking genius. <laughs> and I was, and I was like, we're never going to get him. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 we can get him. And, uh, and it's, it's been, it's been a remarkable experience. He's one of the most, he, he, he's probably the most talented visual storyteller I've ever worked with. He takes my script pages and elevates them. He, and I don't just mean that like he does really good art. I mean, he takes what I was going for and then in a few places finds a better way to do it because he has more freedom on the page. Mm. Um, so he'll look at my script page and then he'll interpret what I act. And I do full script. I work in full script. Okay. So like I'm saying panel, you know, panel one, yada, yada, panel yep. two, yada, yada. And so he'll just like reinterpret that mm. in a way that the page still accomplishes what I wanted to accomplish and roughly the way I wanted it to, to be accomplished. But he's really brought a lot to it. Yeah. Um, there's one example in particular. Um, he actually just posted a, 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 a little, you know, chunk of this page on facebook on um twitter today oh where, yeah i saw that <clears throat> yeah so the, it, there's three panels and the first panel shows a blank sky and the third panel shows another blank sky but it's a little further down because we can see the the uh the light coming up a bit off the horizon mm. and then the third panel we're down further because it's the same thing with the light 
pattern. Um, yeah. But now we can see Carolyn falling, the main character of Eternity Girl falling. And originally I had like diff I had a, a panels of her falling in like different kinds of positions and like the camera was moving in because I love doing those like multi-panel close-ups. Mm -hmm. um, that's a trick. That's a that's a trick I go to again and again and again. Um, and he was like, he made the call that there was a better way to make this work visually. And he was absolutely right. And I have such a profound trust for him to <clears throat> take the, the skeleton that I give him and flesh it out in really creative ways. It's mm. been, it's been a, a profoundly positive experience. I, I can't begin to say how lucky I am to work with him. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, and it's 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 crazy too. Like this is basically his, like the 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 follow up to uh, his like multi Eisner award winning book. Oh you... God, right? I can't I can't handle that pressure. <laughs> Charlie Chanhock Chai it's might incredible. be the best book I've ever read. Yeah, it's. I mean, you certainly. I mean, and and it's it's awesome. You know, I'm I'm sure like the both the um you know amazement of of working with this guy as he's like you know on top of the sort of comics world is both exciting and like super nerve-wracking for you right now and i i don't mean to make it, it worse by bringing that up <laughs> it worked for, it worked for uh for dc marketing that's part of how we got the green light is that we both had eisner nominations oh that's fantastic yeah that's... like we got the official green light the week of san diego wow um so like just a couple of days before everything and so like the fact that like i have my eisner and glad nomination mm -hmm. and he was nominated for <clears throat> six eisners and he won three like mm. dc was like pumped for <laughs> with this team yeah well i i feel like that fits like having having you two on that book uh fits so well with what young animal has been trying to do this whole time i guess you know like they, they've been trying to sort of bring in like different voices that represent totally you know different parts of of the country and the world and 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 also like that looks like visually very different and challenging from what you normally would get in, in American comics. Um, and so I, I feel like that's the, for them, they're just like stoked and, and seeing, you know, dollar signs and awards for years uh, uh, when they look at this series on the horizon. Yeah. And uh, the really cool thing that I, that I really love about young, uh, about young animal mm -hmm. is um, you get a longer comic. So you get two more pages to work with than a, than a DCU book. Mm hmm. It's a 22-page format, which um, actually makes a pretty massive difference in terms of your your, your story economy. Mm. Um, so, like, that's really great. And the second is the unparalleled creative freedom you get. Hmm. Like, at this point, I've done work for, like, I've done, you know, like, like published work for both DC and Marvel. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, Marvel's the only company at this point where I have, like, real firsthand experience writing for the publisher, you know, mm -hmm. proper, mm -hmm. um, because my two publishing at DC <clears throat> counting animal is just young animal and a, another return and another, um, young animal little short that I did yeah. for shape. The, uh, element, um, element girl, uh, crossover. Yeah. Is that right? Cool. Yeah. But not really, it's not really a crossover, but yeah. Um, but like I was in the DC writers workshop and that's like, here's how to do DC style comics. And so it's basically like, working with editorial mm -hmm. and man, like the, the, the constraints with, with when you're working with in a continuity with established characters and you're playing with someone else's toys and somebody else's toy box are very real. And <clears throat> the trick is finding interesting stories that can communicate what you want to do 
but still fit this existing formula of what a DC or a Marvel comic is supposed to be, which it's actually interesting are, are kind of different products because mm-hmm. like they have sort of different internal editorial philosophies, which is really cool. Um, but it means you sort of have to like pivot every time you switch over. Okay. Um, um, DC is really, really big on, on the sort of over the top, um, crazy high stakes, um, like comics goofiness. Okay. Um, and, and Marvel, because Marvel's like the world outside your window, like it always does try to be a little bit more grounded um, within the confines of being a comic book company. Yeah. You know, um, of course. but, but uh, um, working with young animal is just like, you get to do whatever you want. I, I, I've called it like working with black mask, but money, <laughs> like it's black mask with money. Yeah. That's that, that seems to make sense as far as what I've been able to, to see from the outside because yeah like Black Mask has been one of my favorite publishers ever since I picked up Quantum Teens uh, but Young Animal mine too coincidentally <laughs> uh, I but yeah I mean I think that's that's a very good description even from just the reader end you know as far as what we see on the shelves I think that's uh, that's very true and so it's it's nice to hear that it's also that way going into it um, no yeah it's really just a remarkable experience working with them. And how I'm curious because you know with with Gerard Way sort of like curating it, and then you have uh, you know Jamie Rich, and then who'd you say the the new editor is there? Andy Corey. Andy Corey. Uh, so so with them, how much like how hands on are are they? You know how hands on is Gerard, and then how hands on is Andy in the process for for at least for what you need? Well, Jamie was very hands on during the development process. We worked very hard together mm. to get this book over the finish line to the green light, which took longer than it probably reasonably should have um, for reasons that I'm not going to get into. <laughs> it's just like we had to satisfy some notes mm. uh, on the pitch. Um, and that was actually a really challenging situation to find ourselves in for a variety of reasons. But anyway, um, so he was extremely hands-on and we worked very hard to develop this together. Um, but then once I got to the scripting stage, because <clears throat> Um, Jamie was my editor through writing the first three issues mm. and we're still in production on issue one. So, <clears throat> so Andy's like overseeing production of like literally everything. Okay. But, um, but, uh, Jamie was pretty hands off because it's a really idiosyncratic book. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was basically like, you what basically, I guess we, the, sorry, I'm stumbling over myself. No, hey, you're fine. You're no worries. Um, when, he he didn't really give me a like a very many notes because he was just just like you seem to have a handle on what you want this to be, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a really important statement because when you think about what comic editors are there to do, it's to help. It's not to tell you what to do. It's to help you make the comic that you want the way that you wanted to make it. Uh-huh. It's like well, you said you wanted to do a book about X, Y, and Z, but it's only about X and Z. Where the fuck is Y? <laughs> and then they can draw your attention to that and then suggest ways to draw that out. Okay. Um, I'm always like worried because it's such a it's such a strange little book that maybe he just like didn't get it, but I think he does get it because like we were because like he was working with me all the time and developing it. Um, Gerard is pretty hands off. Um, he mostly just like gives his thoughts on things as we go, and when there's important decisions to be made, like picking a cover, um, we haven't picked our logo yet, mm. stuff like that. Um, I haven't even seen the designs yet, although I know they're being worked on. Um, like he, he weighs in on all that stuff because he, there's a, a kind of a vibe that he wants us to go through. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, 
reads all the scripts and comes back with notes. And um, there hasn't been a ton of art yet, so I'm not really sure of where he's going to fit in the process. Because like I said, we've only got like seven pages done at this point yeah, of yeah. Uh, of the first issue. Mm. <clears throat> um, and he's been pretty hands off on art at this point. But that I, I think a lot of that's that we're letting Sonny really take the lead there. Of course. Um, and he's making some really bold fucking choices it's, <laughs> i really think you if everyone hates the story there's no way anyone's gonna hate the art because it's incredible yeah um so i can say that that without any cert, any uncertainty <laughs> and uh and i know i'm just like so i know i'm like fangirling a lot about sunny but like he's so fucking good no he, he um, is incredible and like <laughs> if if charlie chan hock chai and and dr fate are any indication of of uh the type of stuff that he's doing for eternity girl it's it's gonna be a wild ride i'm sure yeah, and I actually am not really sure about what Ann is going to be like because he's relatively recently on the team. Um, mm. He's only gotten one of my scripts, and that was pretty recently, so I don't have notes on that yet. So I'm not sure what his level of like, sort of like sticking a finger in the soup is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's been a very pleasant experience working with him so far in terms of just like the organizational side of things and um, working together to make sure that. Basically, everything in terms of production on issue one is working well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've really just seen him on, his, on the organizational side at this point. That makes sense. I, I'm curious. Did you? Uh, did you? You know, since now you're working obviously with with under Gerard Way's imprint. Uh, were you like a My Chemical Romance fan back in the day or anything like that? Not, not even a little bit. Oh, that's funny. I was not aware of Gerard Way outside of comics. Wow. Like I knew who Gerard Way was because. He did like Umbrella Academy uh-huh. and shit. Like that's who I knew him as. That's um, funny. I was not into like emo music like at all. Uh-huh. Um, I was pretty allergic to that stuff in college when when all that stuff was coming out. I thought it was a little bit too young for me. Mm. Um, so that's which funny. I think is a bullshit attitude to have. But yeah, so like it kills me because I have so many friends who are big MCR fans, and I'll just like show my emails from Gerard sometimes just to like make <laughs> make them go. Um, and I'm like, and I'm like, not even a little starstruck because I don't know him from that. Yeah, yeah. Like, there are people that if I worked with them, I would lose my fucking mind. I'm sure. You know, like if if I ever collaborated, I'm not even fucking gonna go down that road. But please, like, <laughs> like it's just, I just think it's really funny that like I'm working with this rock star, and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's and and I'm I'm I like that's that's got to be so funny for uh just having that perspective on it cuz yeah it's there's not like it's certainly a minority of people who their first exposure to Gerard Way is as a comic book creator uh and so, and so that's that's actually really awesome. Uh The really cool thing about Gerard is he sees himself as this was the dream. Like the comic books. Mm-hmm. It's like he was a rock star but that was like a side thing. <laughs> I think but this is the dream. And that kills me. That kills me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure that's that's really awesome though. I, cause it's, and I think this is the thing. No matter who you are, if you're wanting to get into comics, the, I, I think almost exclusively, you know, there there are some exceptions, but the vast majority of people who want to get into comics and and stay there and keep creating comics are there because they love comics. Because it's not the, you know, the most lucrative business out there by any stretch of the not, imagination. No, 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 no. And and so, I, but I think that's cool. And, and kind of even tying into like meeting people at conventions and and stuff like that. You know, I, I think that the the majority of people in comics tend to not be assholes and tend to be really cool 
because they're doing a thing that requires you to kind of check your ego a bit uh, because it's not going to get you rich or famous or whatever. Um, and I, I don't know. And I think that's really cool. There's something awesome and, and in a way like kind of poetic about this guy who was, you know, a, a however many platinum record rock star, whatever, uh, who, who is, is in love with the fact that he gets to make comics. Um, no, yeah, that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. And it's so infectious. Um, mm. like I, I had the, I got the chance to hang out with him for a very, very entertaining afternoon. And the love that he has for comics mm-hmm. is so immense. Like he's the biggest nerd. I love it. <laughs> I loved it. Like, like he just, he just like knows fucking comics in this, in this really big sort of global way. Mm. And and he has such a clear, it's hard to explain, but he has a really clear vision for what he wants Young Animal to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all kind of get it because it's out at this point, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But like, yeah, I just, I, it's, it's just, it's really joyous, like seeing his enthusiasm for, for the kinds of weird shit that I love making. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's just, it's just, it's just an absolute joy. That's awesome. I'm, I'm curious too, cause we, you know, we've kind of been talking about, uh, you know, creators and, and people that were, you know, sort of like, you know, fans of, or, or people that we looked up, look up to or whatever. And I'm curious who were like the first creators that you really like followed or, or, you know, got into like when, when the comics stopped being about the characters and started becoming more about the creators in terms of your perspective, or did that ever happen for you? That happened when I was in college. Mm. Um, to a, to a brief extent in high school, I was really into, into Tom DeFalco's spider girl. Okay. Um, that was like, that was like my book. Hell yeah. Um, and so sometimes, you know, I'd hear that Tom DeFalco was doing another book and I would go pick it up. But, um, really it started in college when I started reading powers and I really fell in love with, uh, uh, Bendis and Oming. Mm. Um, and so I, I started reading a lot of Bendis. Um, but like, I was just so poor all the time <laughs> that I couldn't, that I like it. I couldn't buy Cause like I had, I, I worked at pizza up around on wage and for 12 hours a week, I didn't have any money. I couldn't buy oh, comics. Yeah. Um, so I really only had access to like, I would some, if I had a little bit of extra money, I would go buy, you know, another powers trade, um, and just kind of endlessly reread the stuff that I already had. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Bendis and Gaiman were like the first writers that I really <clears throat> comic writers that I really fell passionately in love with their work. Excuse me one second. Yeah. No problem. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me i'm just gonna hear my throat yeah no you're totally fine and um um mike allred and peter milligan mm-hmm. um when i cook when i started getting into ecstatics and shit mm-hmm. um that all happened around the same time because like i since i wasn't buying much of much of anything i was only reading what was kind of circulating in my social circle and it was all these like these like weird idiosyncratic books mm-hmm and so there was a, a good chunk of time from like, yeah, I guess about oh three, eh, really kind of armored to like twenty twelve when I was I was just kind of reading um, trades that happened to like fit into these like weird little worlds of mine. So I was like reading DMZ um, and Transmet and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Um, and so like I that's a really skewed perspective on comics. And so you can kind of see how I ended up in like the weird artsy mold where I was like, everything has to solve a philosophical problem and be dark, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, the, the British invasion sort of like vertigo, uh, phase of things was. Yeah. I'm like, and I, and I, and I really love that stuff. 
Oh, and like, course. you're going to see a lot of that in Eternity Girl because Eternity Girl is kind of me flexing that muscle professionally for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, so yeah, that, that, that's basically, those are basically the people that I started really, really following really religiously. That's awesome. I, I, and I'm wondering too, obviously, you know, you were, you were an English major and, and, you know, it seems like you had been writing, uh, for a long time. I'm curious, A, what the, the first things that you, you know, whenever you did start writing, what the type of things that you were writing were, and then when it was that you first started writing comics scripts? Um, well, I started writing comics before I started writing anything. Oh, wow. So I started writing comics, like, by myself on loose-leaf paper when I was eight. <clears throat> my, first nice. creator, my first character was the, uh, the extremely original Spider-Boy. Oh, there you go. He lived in my hometown and went to the local high school and had amazing lines like, <laughs> Crime rate in Richmond sure has gone up lately. <laughs> I don't remember that line till the day I die. And then the, the next issue of Spider-Boy that I did, because I had no idea how to develop a plot, I just did, okay, well, I'm going to do Web of Spider-Boy and have a different villain. <laughs> <clears throat> I was like, I was like, oh, I'm doing a crossover. No, I wasn't. Um, hey, but I mean, uh, you, were, you were how old when you were doing this? Yeah, eight. Damn. Like, I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm not making fun of myself. Yeah, of course. Like, but that's just great. It's just it's just delightful to me. And there's a yeah. and uh, I started eventually I started moving into more original characters. I had a and by more original characters I mean he's Superman but a dog. <laughs> uh, the amazing mutt, which is my favorite idea I've ever had in my life. I love it. He's literal. His origin is identical, but he's an anthropomorphic <laughs> dog on a human world, like on Earth. Like he's just an alien dog. He doesn't have secret identity. He. He works for the government, I think. Like, it was very confusing. Um, <clears throat> That's amazing, though. But, oh yeah. God, um, and so, I in, in, like, high school, I was writing a lot of poetry and short fiction, but I was also still writing comics, and I, I tried a little bit of stage plays. I did this one very didactic stage play, which was basically just a debate between me and a friend of mine written as a... We were two separate characters because we were co-writing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and it was just terrible. Uh, um, and in college I got really into literary fiction, um, because I was taking a lot of lit classes. So I was really like, um, and this to this day remains one of my abiding passions in life is 1920s modernism. Hmm. Um, so I know it's not politic, but I love Hemingway. Hmm. Um, I love Fitzgerald. I love Juna Barnes, Mina Loy. Oh God. Kay Boyle, Robert McAllman. Um, I could go on and on. I, I studied that shit like crazy. Um, and I actually tried to write a novel set among the, the American writers expat community in Paris, um, which is not good. Um, it's because what it comes down to, and like my problem for so long as a writer was simply not knowing how to structure things. Mm. So I would just sort of sit down in a page and write whatever popped into my head. And then I eventually I would write myself into a corner and I would have no idea how to get out of it because I hadn't done any planning because I didn't know how to plan out my stories mm-hmm. um, which is the most valuable skill i think any writer who wants to produce regularly can have uh, um i'm, I'm curious yeah. how you how you you know learned how to how to sort of tackle that problem and how to get better at planning and stuff like what was what was the sort of lesson for you or, or how did you approach getting better at that it was just time and experience um i like so i started getting serious about my comics mm. and i started really getting serious as a writer in 2012 and I um I figured out fairly quickly that the problem with the first run of Stronghold was that 
in addition to being overly serious and overly like philosophical, mm-hmm. like it, I didn't know how to get it where it was going. And so working on Stronghold, it was very touch and go. Like it was very haphazard, the kind of way we were planning, but like we had an, we had a 12 issue arc envisioned. Mm-hmm. And so I had a rough idea where things needed to end up. And that was my first, you know, my first attempts at that. Um, and I was doing like Marvel style anyway. So it kind of didn't, it kind of didn't, um, it wasn't like, cause I found scripts very intimidating to write like full script. Yeah. Yeah. So much easier to just tell my artist, well, here's kind of what I want to happen, make it happen. And I'll write dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I eventually realized that that wasn't going to work once I decided to switch to full script because you, cause I, I wrote, I wrote a script sort of page by page, just kind of figuring out like, okay, where's this going to end up? And it didn't end up anywhere. And so I had to scrap it. Mm. And so I decided to set myself a new goal. And I did this with Andrew Jackson in space. I was like, I'm going to write a 20 page script. And that means I needed to know in advance what was going to happen on every single fucking page. Yeah. Um, And so I started talking with other writers um i sort of got in with gail simone a little bit and i would talk to her for you know i'd go to her for a piece well that's a great source of advice and i was was, yeah and i was newish on twitter at that point and but i'd been like trying to get to know other writers Mm. in in the business um and just like running my running my stuff by them and trying to get advice and that's sort of how there i can't think of a moment when i figured out how to do this um, but I can say that like getting to the, the structure that I use now mm-hmm. probably didn't happen until I was in the slog that was writing the first issue of Kim and Canada. That issue went through so many different versions, trying to figure out what I wanted the tone to be, trying to figure out how to make the plot <clears throat> bounce the way I needed it to. Mm-hmm. The most invaluable resource that I had other than <clears throat> my editor and, <clears throat> and best friend Katie Rex on the first issue was Brian Edward Hill, who mm. I just kind of emailed him out of the blue one day, and I was like, hey, I, I, I have really a lot of respect for, for you as a writer, and I like how you talk about writing on Twitter. Yeah. I was wondering if you could just, like, help me figure out what the fuck is wrong with the script. And he did. Dude, Brian's the best. He's, he, he's, he, he's a friend of mine. He's great. He, he's fantastic. He shot me an email. <clears throat> shot me an email basically saying, like, your plot has, unless it has, like, is driven by, like, three coincidences, which... You know, it's like, and it's too action heavy. Mm. There's not enough character development, and he just, we just, he just kind of talked it out, and um, that helped. That like really, really helped me a lot in terms of getting to sort of where I am now. I remember that conversation. Um, That's awesome. But in terms of planning, like it's pretty simple. Like I just write page one. Here's like a paragraph. Here's like a sentence to a paragraph about what's going to happen, and then I do that for every single page, and. The really cool thing about working like that is you get like a top level view and you can fuck around with things before you have to dive in. Yeah. Um, and so by the time I'm actually scripting, I script pretty fast mm-hmm. because I already, when I was, when I'm doing <clears throat> my page breakdowns, I'm seeing like the whole story, the whole comic book and Toto in my head. Yeah. And then it's going to be a matter of transferring that to paper, mm-hmm. which is actually like to me, probably the easiest part of writing is actually the scripting part. Like the actual, the part that takes the most time takes the least mental totally work relative to the, to the, to the, the, all the energy that I pour into my breakdowns. Mm-hmm. And I, and at this point, like, and I've really pulled back my breakdowns too. So the, the energy is really being balanced out a lot more. 
because I used to be really copiously detailed. I'm sorry if I'm talking too much. No, absolutely. I mean, the the, the, the purpose of the interview is for you to talk as much as you want. I, I'm loving this. I'm I'm fascinated. So is... I used to I used to really really go detailed on my breakdowns, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Kieran Gillen mentioned once that like, and it wasn't like in a conversation with me. He was doing a Twitter thread mm. where he was talking about how like he keeps his breakdowns really short, and then he does all his improvisation on the page. I think he was like having a conversation with someone about like, how do you like, at what point is scripting just typing? Like, where's the spontaneity come from if everything's that planned mm. and reading that really inspired me. Cause I had been really, really going into this massive detail on my page breakdowns. Um, and at this point now I've like really tried to spread a little, a, a little bit, you know, more out unless I'm very specific about what needs to happen. Um, like sometimes I'll just say, and then they fight for three pages, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and then like who's the person who wins. And then I figure out the beats for that as I'm actually scripting. And that's that's really fun because you're kind of in it. Mm-hmm. But the beautiful thing is that it's rarer that you get someone going completely out of left field, you no know, acting in a way that's completely out of left field, which like fucks up your plan, um, which used to happen to me all the time um, because everything was super improv. But I actually have a script I'm working on. Right now, it's um, the fourth issue of David McQueen, which is going to be out, coming out in May um, from Vault, um, where I had scripted a sequence out at four pages, Mm -hmm. but I was like mostly done with it by two pages in, and I couldn't really think of ways to stretch that out, like that didn't make the conversation feel less natural. Mm Mm-hmm. So ultimately decided to just accept that and turn what was going to be the closing panel of the last page into a full page spread, which I think is going to work a lot better than what I originally had asked for. That's the really cool thing about once you're in it, like the book just kind of like will will often solve a lot of its own problems. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, it's, it's a thing that I'm slowly discovering right now. I've like my, my artist is working on my, my first comic ever. And that's exactly like the type of thing that I've started to learn is, is as you're like going through it and going back and forth and seeing some of these things uh, that it does just, you know, like the things that you see in your outline in like those one line descriptions of a page end up turning into something else that, that works so well, you know, you'll get these random page turns that are, that you think work so well or like little reveals and stuff. Um, That's awesome. I'm I'm also curious, like what, what does your, your outline, you know, or, or, you know, your breakdown look like? Do you do that sort of by hand or on paper, like, you know, index cards, what's your kind of method? Um, I use a word doc and I just type page one. Mm. Um, I do the vast majority of my writing uh, on the subway shuttling to and from work. That makes sense. Um, sort of scrunched into a corner if I can find one, <laughs> um, headphones blaring white noise or David Bowie or something. <laughs> um, cause it's the only place I have no Wi-Fi to distract me oh, that's... like whatsoever. Cause we're underground. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> That's an interesting so hard, asset about ex- the subway. So it's extremely hard to write by hand on a subway. Yeah. Um, and my handwriting is basically illegible anyway. <laughs> and my hand cramps up really quickly and I have carpal tunnel. Oh, oh, so many reasons to do things digitally. That makes um, sense. But yeah, so I just go here. I'll just read you one. Page seven, Lazaro storms the palace. Mm. Page eight, Elida and her mother free, flee. Elida witnesses her loyal security guards perish under the mob. Like, and that's like the whole page description for page eight. Yeah. That's awesome. You I, know, and and I'm so now now I can uh, say to the listeners there's there's a an exclusive tease for Vagrant Queen, is that uh, is that safe to say? Yeah, if you want. <laughs> Just kidding. It's uh, pretty minor. Yeah. Um, it's it's a flashback from like 
four issues in. Ooh, there you go. Um, I yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I've because especially with comics, and, and that's why I always find it fascinating to learn about people's processes because comics is one of these mediums that doesn't have you know a wealth of of um common practice you know or or you know learning tools you know outside of like bendis's book and like two or three others which all tell like teach different methods uh there's not a a real fred van lente did one a couple years ago yeah yeah which i've heard very good things about and i've been it's actually a book for artists oh cool but um there is a, a will eisner book um i think it's just called sequential art i can't remember the full title yeah yeah um but I was I referenced that I used to reference that a ton, mm. um, just to figure out because like I wanted to get a sense of what's an effective way to convey this page, and he's really good at communicating that information. Of course, but yeah, comics is so much a sort of one on one, sort of like these informal mentorship things. Yeah, um, like I mentioned Andrew Jackson in space. I was working on that, and there was one scene I couldn't solve, and I just wrote Gail Simone, and this is like. We had kind of just started talking a little bit, mm. but I was just like, I don't know what to do with this page. And she gave me the best, one of the, some of the best writing advice I've ever gotten in my life. And she didn't solve the page for me or even say anything specific about the page. She just said, every time I can't solve a page, I ask myself what the point of it is. Hmm. <laughs> because, and that, that's a really important lesson for writing comics is what's the point of every single page. I have this, there's this uh, younger writer who I've been working with um, to sort of like, cause she like, wants to write comics and mm-hmm. she does she, she didn't know how and so i've been like sort of shepherding her through the process of like not just like writing comics specifically but also how to think about story effectively mm-hmm. um and i think probably the the that was like a big thing we went through because i'm like walking her through writing her first like full length 20 page script okay. and she was like turning in these outlines and they were perfectly serviceable st- stories but i'm like Nothing that was happening was elevating it, and you had pages that didn't move anything forward. And I'm like, you've got a limited amount of space. Why are you wasting this page? Mm. Um, and so once you know what the point of every page is, even if it's not something you've consciously thought about, but it's that's something you definitely want to be thinking about early on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like once once you know how to think about that, you start to really see sort of how to use. I guess the you start to see how the economy of the single issue comic operates, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because like you only have so many pages, every page has a point and every page has to drive the story forward in some, in some way, Mm -hmm. even if it's just the doorbell rings, like if that's the only thing that happens on the page, if that's the point of the page, then you know how to write that page. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's, that's, that's some very uh, uh, good and, and, succinct advice which i guess is is uh you know you wouldn't expect any less of someone like gail simone who's such a a master of the craft um but that's 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 incredible i I really like that i wrote that down uh for for later reference um now and so i i I, and i seriously could just like ask you all these craft questions uh forever but i uh, love talking craft (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome because i i seriously like we i'll definitely have to have you back on sometime we can really well, let's do let's do one more absolutely uh let's so okay i'm i'm curious what like in in your because now you've you've worked with probably what five or, or six artists professionally at this point oh god i'm not even sure probably something like that um 
what's what's been the biggest lesson for you in collaborating with an artist like the the thing that you realize like in your early work that you wish you could sort of go back and change uh from your end to sort of help the process oh man i'm not sure i know it's a it's a, it's a bit every a every writer every writer is really i mean every writer every artist is very different mm. and the lessons you learn working with one artist are really only applicable to that artist mm. because they're all going to operate differently. Sonny um, doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't ask, he doesn't ask for a lot of information. Um, he will ignore specific like, like camera staging directions. I write those anyway, cause that's cause I think through a page visually. Of course. Um, but like, like, like he has no, and like, that's fine. I don't, I have no objection. Like I want an artist to be interpreting the page. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but you know, um, Ava Cabrera on Kim and Kim is, is a very, is very literal. And so like her English isn't spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that for her, I need to write simple, fairly simply, very clearly, and often with a good amount of detail because that's what she needs to turn around a good, like a good, you know, a good product at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Claudia Aguirre, who I'm working on, a, on an unannounced book with right now. I can say that I'm working with her, but I can't say what the book is or where. <laughs> okay. Um, is, um, she's like kind of a middle ground. Like she's, she's very inventive, but she sticks to the, but she very much sticks to the script. Um, but she's a, 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 a interesting with how she uses, um, I guess how her figures act. Um, the emotionality she brings to it is, is something really, that's really interesting. Uh-huh. Um, and so basically what it comes down to is every artist is going to need something different from you. And that's something you can only pick up with over time. Um, and different artists are going to want to collaborate in different ways. On Quantum Teens, Eric Donovan would turn around like fully penciled pages that weren't what was on the page that I had written. Mm-hmm. And so then, but like, but it was still the same story. So we'd have to like sit down and figure out, okay, well, how do we apply? How do we, cause we're, you know, like, how do we, how do we make this concept work? Because like I want, cause it's a good idea. Like there's a, there's a spread in issue three um, that was not written. He was just like, it'd be really cool if we did a spread there and he didn't just delivered it. And then we had to sort of sort out what was going to go in the six other panels on the spread. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's just, I guess the most important thing to learn is that not everyone's going to, going to operate the same way. Mm. And you have to be really respectful for that. And that you have to, here we go. Here's the be- I found it. The most important lesson is your artist is your partner, not your employee. Mm. Even if you are paying them, they're you're their they're your partner, not your employee. Mm-hmm. You hired them or you're working with them, you know, whether they were assigned to you or you own whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. You're working with them because you trust them as an artist. And because comics are a visual medium, mm-hmm. you have to let the storytelling weight fall on them which means you have to trust them to know what to do with it. Mm, and so nice. that means that everything's got to be super, it, it has to be collaborative in some fashion. Even if that collaboration is they turn in your pages and then you just figure out what you're going to do with your letters when you're doing your lettering task right before, you know, it, it goes off, you know, to be finished, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, you do all the time, you know, you get your finished colored pages and you're like, okay, and I'm going to look at the script and see how well these really match up and then fix anything that needs to be fixed. Um, you have to trust them to, to handle that, whatever that's going to look like for them. So it's really important to communicate through artists and figure out what kind of relationship with you they want and what kind of relationship with them you want. Mm-hmm. And so you can both find out something that's going to work for the two of you as a team because it's like a band. 
if any two people are a completely different musical experience than this, than either one of them with anyone else, hmm. you know, yeah. like yeah. a few years ago, do you remember Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic from Nirvana reunited with fucking Paul McCartney? I don't, I don't remember that happening. I didn't, I didn't even they did one song. It's called, it's called, I believe it was called cut me some slack. It fucking rules. And it does not sound like Nirvana because it wouldn't because yeah. it's Paul McCartney. You know, it's a very different experience. What the band was jokingly called Servana, <laughs> but it's like it's a very different experience than listening to Nirvana because like Dave Grohl is bringing his sensibility and Chris Novoselic is bringing his sensibility. Yeah. But Paul McCartney is on a different fucking planet, and totally. finding that mesh, it's like if it's like Nirvana meets Helter Skelter, and it works huh. so well. And was Dave Grohl um, back on just, drums for that too? Yeah, he. It was Damn. just for one song. It was for this. It was for uh, uh, this documentary called Sound City. Um. And it, it would say it's spectacular. It's a great song, I'm but it doesn't sound like fucking Nirvana. It doesn't sound anything like fucking Nirvana. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm I'm I I just wrote that down to look it up after uh, after we're done. That's awesome. I I can't believe I didn't know that happened. Yeah, every creative team is gonna deliver a different product. You'll mm-hmm. notice. Like, I just reread the vision. The vision is not anything like fucking Mr. Miracle in terms mm-hmm. of what the, how the story is told. Yeah, you know. Like you can see Tom King's sensibility moving through it, but but you know, Mitch Sherrod's does not bring the same kind of instincts. Totally, yeah. It's it's and and you're totally right. I mean, whether it's an artist or a writer or whatever, like I mean, even if you were to look at Vision and I guess Batman, right? Like you've got the same writer and the same colorist on on both series, and it's you couldn't be more more apart in terms of how it comes across. That's that's very interesting. Um, yeah, the, it it just it helps so much to think of comics like it's a band mm. and it's 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 not your show yeah huh that's great i i i'll i'll, I'll stop with the the craft questions because i really want to make sure that we we get a chance to to sort of talk about and, and plug all your work before we uh we wrap up and especially because we've been we've mentioned kim and kim quite a few times now but i don't think we've ever uh actually talked about really what it's about and i'm sure that there are people out there who who haven't uh haven't had a chance to read kim and kim yet so let's what i know right uh, but let's let's tell them you know what it's about. What's uh, I mean I, I I'm sure you are much better than me at uh, at succinctly explaining Kim and Kim. Yeah, I have I have my uh, my pocket thirty <laughs> second you know five second pitch right here. Yeah, two best it? friends, two best friends launch an interdimensional bounty hunting business out of their flying van. <laughs> I love it, and and you're on your the the second series now, which is uh, Kim that and Kim. wrapped. Oh, did so, it wrap? uh, oh, yeah, that was a, that was another four issue that wrapped in October. Um, oh, wow. I am behind. I, I do have plans for it for the future. Um, but yeah, so there's currently two trades out. So the first one is called um, This Glamorous High Flying Rockstar Life. And the second is Love is a Battlefield. And uh, how how long do you plan on taking Kim and Kim? If, if you, you know, if you have uh, your way or whatever, how, how long do you envision that series going? As long as I can, I love those. <laughs> I love those girls. Um, that book is extremely close to my heart, um, and I would very much love to write it for as long as I reasonably can. Mm. Um, I don't know how long I reasonably can is because um, it's very much a labor of love. It doesn't really pay anything. Uh, it does well enough in trade to sort of sustain itself, like the book is 
pretty much always kind of at break even because it's got a non-traditional audience. So it's not like a Wednesday warrior book. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, uh, it's, it's, it moves pretty consistently on like bookstores more than in comic shops, Mm. um, which I'm not surprised by. I sort of knew that was going to be the case going in. Um, said my publisher and like, we, uh, we really made a point of, uh, we've really made a point of, um, trying to exploit those channels as much as we can. Um, and that, that's say? where the industry is growing the most is in, in the book. Market. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm very, I'm very excited about the book market. It's something I'm, I'm, I'm excited to begin trying to like move into yeah. more and more, especially because my audience is there to a larger extent, the kinds oh, totally. of people who read things like Kim and Kim, I would like to bring them into the comic shops, but you know, if they're not going to come, I'll go to them. Um, yeah, and that's the thing that we talk about on on our show a lot is that really, I mean, like the 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 new readership in comics, you know, people who are like, you know, a book like Kim and Kim or a book like Saga or you know, a lot of these other books that largely come from places like you know Image and Black Mask, uh, or Young Animal, you know, the 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 people reading those books are not the type of people who feel super comfortable walking into a comic shop because there is kind of a, a feeling or a you know, sort of a weird association, I think, that, that people have of it if they've never been into a comic shop before. Um, and so it's, it's like, books like that, for whatever reason, you know, just they, they do better in, in the book market. But I, I love that. Like, anytime I meet somebody who's, you know, like, recently come into comics through a book like, like Kim and Kim or any of those sort of, you know, like, I guess, really, you know, like you said, like an alternative sort of audience or alternative voice, like, that's so exciting because it, it shows that there is, you know, people always want to talk all doom and gloom about the comic industry and how it's failing or whatever. But th- I mean, there, there is obviously this new life and this new blood that is coming in just through different mediums than people are used to. It's also worth remembering that the comics industry isn't comics. That's something mm. that we forget a lot, that there's a whole world of comics outside DC, Marvel and superhero hobby shops. Mm hmm. Like it's a it's a it's a dead horse. I make a point of beating as often as I can. But do you know who the most popular comic comics artist and writer is in 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 the United States? Uh, do you I'm, know? Uh, Raina Telgemeier. Raina Telgemeier. Yeah. Raina Telgemeier. You're not gonna see her in in, in you know with like a prominent display in in comic shops. That's well, not of course really not, yeah. her. That's not really her market. Not at all. Um, but she kills everyone mm-hmm. um you there's there's so much work coming out in other channels i love fantagraphics i love first second um yeah. i don't know if you got the chance to read boxers and saints i haven't boxers and saints is fantastic um the art of charlie chan hawk chai by sunny lou who mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier is fantastic and it's kind of a mixed media experience um mouse oh of course for all, all fucking thing which i i had the the profound privilege of being exposed to when I was in like the fifth grade. And wow. it, it really blew my mind in terms of what I couldn't, I, I didn't know there were comics like that. Yeah. Um, That's incredible. And I've been making a point lately of like trying to look more into these sort of weird other kinds of things. So I'm reading more Daniel Klaus. Um, I picked mm. up a couple of old issues of raw, um, the, the, the anthology series that Art Spiegelman and Francois Moulet, um, did in the eighties. Mm. Um, because like I'm so excited by that stuff and, and shit like Island um, that Brandon Graham was putting out oh, yeah. um, with Image a couple years ago. Um, there's so much weird shit that's not what you think of when you think of comics in terms of like American comics. And I think I'm really just utterly convinced that 
for comics as we know it to survive, Mm -hmm. we have to really embrace that as well and figure out a way to sort of try to bring these worlds together a little bit, you know? Yeah. No, that's, no. And so like that, that's kind of like one of my big missions. I have this dream project that are where I want to do this like quarterly anthology. That's just this really weird, like weird comics, Mm. you know, like the sort of stuff you would have seen in raw back in the day or comic versions of the shit you would have seen on liquid television in the early nineties or (laughs) Kablam. Um, just stuff that's like, that's inventive and interesting and would never get its own book in the common mark in the, in the current market. Of course. But, but like, but like I could, but like, I, I want to like, try to put that kind of stuff out there in a big way, Yeah. even though like, and I also know that, that, that writing that stuff isn't really my forte. And so, <laughs> you know, I don't want to just like be the one writing all this stuff. Cause I don't want to put out my voice. I would just, I just want those voices out there. Yeah. You find you those know? voices to kind of like give them a medium to sort of tell their story in. Yeah. And the, and like the cool thing is that like, I really feel like there's, there's a big opportunity to connect these dots to like, to look at the shit that first second is doing these yeah. literary gra- graphic novels, the shit like blankets. Um, mm. um, there, there's just, there's so much uh ghost world. There's so much just incredible work that isn't genre fiction where nobody's getting punched, Yep. you know? And the people who want to read that stuff aren't coming into comic shops because comic shops are where you go to get the flash and Superman and Batman and X-Men and yada, yada. Yeah. Um, but they are looking for that content and it's out there and there's a real audience for it. And it's hungry. Like if you look at the, the single fastest growing market segment in American in like North American sequential art Mm -hmm. is middle school age girls. Hmm. And you see like, uh, Marvel going after that with Squirrel Girl, yeah. and you see DC going after that with uh, Superhero Girls, which I think is an inspired comic. Totally. Um, like people, like I've seen people who want to shit on it because like it's girly and for kids, and I'm like, that's what makes it rule. <laughs> totally. I, it's like, like it's well, <laughs> like there's a problem if everything a publisher puts out appeals to you. You know what I mean? Like they they have no, a real yeah, problem. Exactly. 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 And and. um I, I want just so badly for uh, when I when I talk about you know diversity in the comics market, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily only talking about well we need more Kamalas although we do, mm-hmm. um, or you know we need more you know you get the idea. Yeah. Um, I want there to be a diversity of content in terms of different kinds of books mm-hmm. that are being put out, um, different formats, different links and i want to see more i want to see original graphic novel content coming out from the big two mm-hmm. i want to see the big two doing things that aren't connected to their superhero universes in any conceivable way um i want to see the the people with the money pushing into these new territories um but yeah. if they're not gonna and they might not and i understand that because like they've got their business model and their business model um especially in these dc's case works mm-hmm. um but like if they're not going to do that push, someone needs to. Yep. And I'm not saying that I alone will bring it about, but like, I feel like, like creators as a whole need, need to be not saying we're not doing it, but I think it's something we need to do Absolutely. is Absolutely. to like, just look for what are other things we can do <clears throat> within this amazing medium, which is sequential art mm-hmm. 
you know, instead of just finding new ways for people to punch each other. And so there's so much innovative work, Descender, the Wicked and the Divine. Yep. yep. Um, Roy- I've, I've there, been there... loving Royal City lately. Have you Have you read Jeff Lemire's Royal no, City? No, I haven't. That's oh. a, I haven't. I have not. It's uh, it's it's. I mean, it's just like that. It's it's a very. I mean, it's a very Jeff Lemire comic in the sense of like I mean, you know, Sweet Tooth and and whatever. Where it's just like it's sort of there's no action in it, you know, like there's no big heavy, whatever. It's just a very emotional and personal comic. And it's, it's like the highlight. And also the most depressing day of my month is when I read that comic. Yeah. Um, I, uh, one of my favorites, uh, in this direction is Southern bastards, oh, yeah. um, which I think is a fucking masterpiece. It doesn't get anywhere near the amount of attention it deserves. Totally. Um, it's one of the single best books I've ever read. It deserves to be an absolute like monster hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I think if Southern Bastards had been done as a graphic novel mm. and put, pitched toward the book market, mm-hmm. it would have had a very different life, and I think possibly a more fruitful one. Yeah, that. that... And the same the same thing with stuff like Rebels, which I thought was mm-hmm. was magnificent. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you see these creators who are who come from the, you know, those sort of like single issue, you know, 20 page story world that start to like go in that direction and and try and kind of like stand on both sides of that fence where they're releasing these single issues. But the story you can see is kind of much more of that sensibility, uh, you know, closer to Dan Klaus than it is, you know, to, to Jim Lee. Um, yeah, and it's a really hard it's really hard to, to break out of because comics publishing is unlike publishing. Yeah. Like it's a completely different planet and yeah. from the ground up moving from one to the, and the infrastructure is super different. And just because you're well-established here doesn't mean mm-hmm. you have any idea what's happening on their side. I'm not saying that anybody doesn't, I've got nobody in mind here. Yeah. Um, I'm just, but like, I, I can understand why it would be difficult to like, be like, oh, well, I want it. Let's be like, like you're writing all these, you're writing Spider-Man or whatever. And you're like, oh, but I have this vision coming through this historical drama about like a collapsing family during the American Revolution. <laughs> you're like, yeah. I have this idea of a story, but all I know is single issue comics. Yep. So I'm going to write this as single issues instead of going and finding an agent. Yeah. You know, like I had a story I wanted to do and I went and found that wasn't that I basically like a, a, a like a middle grade OGN mm. for like I want a story for for middle school girls. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to make this for the comics market. That's not the place for this story. So I, I went and I, I went and I got an agent. You know. There you go. Because yeah. that's because that's where the future is. I'm. I'm and and I'm something also, else. Fuck, that's where the fucking present is. Yeah. I I'm I'm curious really quick. It's funny you say and and sorry I don't mean to like take up too much of your time. Uh, but I'm curious, you know, yeah, you... I'm having a blast. <laughs> I'm glad. I love talking. I'm, I'm, I'm glad because I'm, I'm, I'm certainly very uh, fascinated with, with everything you're spitting out. Uh, I, you, you know, you say you went and got an agent. What, like, in terms of that process, because I know we have a lot of, you know, aspiring creators and people who, who listen to our show. Uh, what was that process for you? I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a thing that's very easy to say. But then in terms of like the, the actual application of that, what was your path to finding an agent? I sent out a bunch of cold emails. I basically just went and Googled, you know, literary agencies that represent graphic novels because that's the format that I'm interested in working in. I'm not interested in writing prose. Mm. Um, 
that's something I feel like I'm going to want to do eventually. I'm not there yet. I'm having way too much fun seeing my shit come to life. Yeah. Eventually um, you'll be Warren Ellis and, and see enough of your published comics that you feel like writing a novel or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, Charles Soule got there. Yeah. Everybody, I feel like we all probably end up there. I'm not there yet. Um, but yeah, so I started looking, well, who are agents that handle this? What agencies handle this? And I started looking, well, what agents represented these graphic novels that I really like? Mm. Um, and I found a couple of agencies. I think I ended up emailing four agencies. Um, two of them wrote me back. One of them took me on. Okay. And uh, I'm represented by Inkwell. Um, I have the same agent as as Jeff Lemire, as Noel Stevenson, right um, as Alex Campy. Um, so he really knows the graphic novel market. Um, and it's just it's it's a really exciting it's an exciting process getting an agent. And it's also really different with comics mm-hmm. because with comics, no one's expecting you to show up with a finished thing. Yeah. They know that that's insane. Like if you want to pitch a novel, you have to have that thing written before you even approach an agent. Mm-hmm. Um, but with a comic book, if you're relatively established, you can just kind of like I Kim and, like at that point, Kim and Kim was the only thing I had out, but Kim and Kim had kind of been this like cult hit and it had kind of just gotten my glad, the glad nomination. So yeah. I was like, okay, I feel like I have a leg to stand on. That's what like gave me the, the courage to shoot out the emails. Mm. Um, <clears throat> You can just sort of walk in and be like, hey, I'm interested in, in getting an agent. And uh, my agent then emailed me back and he's like, well, do you have a, an idea? You like a, like a, Do you have a comic? And I'm like, I mean, I have a bunch of ideas I'd love to pitch. And he goes, send them over. And I sent over like seven or eight <clears throat> ideas I had. <clears throat> he zeroed in on three that he thought were worth developing. I picked one and we moved forward. Hmm. That's awesome. That's, uh, and I, yeah, and I, I think that's... That, that's all, and even that's all just pitch stage. Like that's, there's no, there, at that point, there's no buyer or anything. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's a it's 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 actually fairly getting the agent is fairly similar to dealing with a traditional comics publisher, mm. um, because you know like you walk up to them with like this idea, and then they either like it or they don't. But if they like it, then they have to like find someone to actually to do the publishing it, which is a whole other weird process. Yeah, no, I'm sure, and that's it's nice though because then you have an agent who's doing that work for you rather than. Yeah. And the the cool thing is he also looks for work. Mm. That's great. Like, yeah, he came to me recently with um, something at a at a at a well known comics publisher. Um, obviously, it was a big two because they don't do that shit. Of course. Um, but basically, just being like, "Hey, well, this company would love to do this kind of comic with you. Do you have any anything?" And so it's really weird because you've got someone out there like looking out for you in this way, where you've always had to look out for yourself. Yeah. Someone who's someone who's like taking on a little bit of your hustle. Yeah. And what's cool is if don't if you don't dial back your own hustle there's just more hustle and so there's, <laughs> there's just more opportunities yeah, um it's yeah. a, like i haven't i have um like we haven't moved forward with that that thing i was just telling you about but um it's just it's it's a really interesting and unique experience yeah and I, i'm um, sure that's world changing you know because because especially in comics more than so many other mediums it's like just trying to get to the point where you have things coming out every once in a while is such a a, a Sisyphus, sisyphusian Sisyphian, there you go. Uh, Sisyphean. Sisyphean task uh, that, that it, you know, like just having, getting to a point where, you know, suddenly some of that work is, is being done for you and you're not having to kill yourself to get it done is, is great. No, yeah. Um, although the thing is that like there's a, there's a lot of momentum in comics, mm. um, which is once you start getting stuff out, work starts to filter in. So like I'm not saying you're gonna have like an endless stream of offers coming your way, of course. But like 
once you've gotten noticed, even if you're not like a, a megastar, like you can look at a lot of, um, there's a lot of just all amazing, just workhorse creators out there who, who, who nobody would recognize their name, but they're out there every month with new work. Mm. Um, yeah. Jim Zub like, was somebody like that for a long time. Like that guy. Yeah, just, yeah. Like, well, same, with, same, with, same with Paul Aller. Mm. Um, and like, I bet, like, and that's, that's the, that's the, the path for, for probably most people in comics is just, you get, you just put out the work yeah. over time because that's what, that's what you've got. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, as you do that, as you build those credentials, like people start to see you as real, if nothing else as reliable and work starts to come your way. Mm -hmm. So like I actually just announced, um, that I'm doing a, a, a Rick and Morty one shot. Oh, hell yeah. Um, about sleepy Gary. <laughs> I got to pick and I was like, I want to fucking do sleepy uh. Gary. Um, I have a whole, I have so many questions about that whole species. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and <clears throat> That just came because my editor that that came off of some Rick and Morty backup work, which I got because my editor just like liked Kim and Kim. <laughs> and so and she knew I liked Rick and Morty. And so she was like she just like started offering me these little these little opportunities. That's great. Um and that's like so much of the the infrastructure, not the infrastructure, the what am I saying? So much of like the process of of being quote unquote successful in comics is just doing the work reliably enough that people keep offering it to you. Mm. And I'm sure like, like I'm saying like I have any idea because I've been in the business for what, two years at this point. Um, but that's just what I've gleaned <laughs> um, from a lot of like the people who've just been like in there doing the work for years. Yeah. Like I talked to Paul Eller. Paul is an extraordinary writer who I'm glad is finally getting some attention. He absolutely deserves it. Um, but he's been like chugging along writing like Ninja Turtles comics for years and years and years and years and years, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Paul, I mean, he's, his name, like you said, his name is a name that it's like, oh yeah, I, I know I've like, I've, I've read stuff from him and I'm, you know, it's like you start to see that name pop up more and more in your sort of periphery and, and start to call attention to it. Yeah. Uh, that, and that's just how, that's how most people in the business sort of like move move up is like sort of through the ranks mm -hmm. like that. And there's a few people who kind of get for whatever reason to kind of like skip ahead. And that's a whole different experience with a whole different dynamic. And <laughs> comics is weird. Nobody's career is the same. Nope. Yeah. I, and, and that's, that's also why I love uh, doing these interviews is because like everyone has a different story. You know what I mean? Like your story is different from Brian Hill. Who's different from Brian Wood. Who's different, you know, from Becky Cloonan. Like it's, there's, it's, it's, it's great. Um, such a fun, I don't know, just a fun medium and great to talk about. Um, but anyway, I, I've definitely taken up a, a lot of your time. Uh, before you go, though, I, I know we've we've mentioned Vagrant Queen a couple of times. Uh, really quick, when when does that come out and, and what's it about? Like, what can we kind of expect from that series? Uh, Vagrant Queen um, is coming out in May from Vault Comics, mm -hmm. which is this, this new publisher that's been making quite a, a bit of a name for itself for the last year through their... They, they, this is... I'm part of their second wave um, because I wasn't able to get my shit together in time to be part of their first wave. Mm. Um, Vagrant Queen, the closest thing I've got to describe it is that it's Star Wars if it was directed by the Coen brothers, which isn't <laughs> really accurate, but it's the best I've got because it, I, I, because that sounds better than it's a snarky space opera, which is, <laughs> it, it's like it's Star Wars if it wasn't taking itself even remotely seriously. 
Um, That's an incredible pitch for something, though. Star Wars. But like, but I but I try to keep but I but I tried to keep it like like the story stakes are high, and it's like it's a space opera story, and it's not jokey. It's not like it's always respectful of itself and its medium. It's not parody. Yeah. It's not going out of its way to be it's goofy. Just snarky. It just it just doesn't have the. I've just made a point of trying to not give it the gravity. Mm. So like everyone's cracking dumb jokes and sniping each other. Um, so that that's kind of the vibe. It's basically um, so. Fifteen years ago, this child monarch mm-hmm. was deposed and has spent the the you know the 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 last fifteen years sort of like you know tooling around the galaxy trying to avoid being caught by the revolutionary government that's been hunting to hunting her her entire you know ever since um and then one day this old friend of hers is like hey remember how they captured your mom a few years back well i know where where she is hmm. would he go rescued her and of course she immediately is like this is probably a trap but she can't afford not to try and so that's that's the story that's amazing. It's, I, it's, I, it's Elida diving headlong into what is almost certainly a trap, and she knows it. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love it. Um, all right. So, so obviously, I mean, again, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, let's make sure that that everyone knows where they can find you online and and all that stuff. Uh, what's what's your Twitter and social media? What where can they? Find um, the the only Twitter of my the only uh, social media of mine worth um worth following is my Twitter. Um, I don't really use my Facebook page very much. It's mm. there if you want to like Mags, you know Magdalene Visaggio, you can do that on Facebook. Mm. Um, but my Twitter is Mags Visags M A G S V I S A G G S. Hell yeah. Uh, and make sure you tell if you're if you're into the uh, the Wednesday Warrior single issue you know market or or anything. Make sure you go into your comic book store, pre-order Eternity Girl, pre-order uh, Vagrant Queen. Um, you know, check out uh, Transformers versus what, what's the Transformers? Visionaries. Thing? Transformers Visionary. versus Visionaries is running right now. It's the first issue just came out last week, That's and awesome. we've got four more. Hell yeah! I, I haven't got the chance to to read that one yet, but I'm, I'm. Well, you might have missed your chance. Our first issue is sold out. Sold out! Damn it! I guess I'll. I, I can. I can still find se- it digital. The second printing. The second printing is coming out. You might be able to still be able to find it like on the shelf in your local store. It's sold out at Diamond. Okay. Um. So I don't actually know what the on the ground situation is in the stores. Um. The second printing will be out January thirty first. Um. The same time issue two drops. The same week. Hell yeah. Um, and that's, that's awesome. Thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, and thank you, the listeners for listening. Make sure you follow her at Mags Visags. Uh, and then you can find our show at Savage Land Pod on Twitter, at Savage Land Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, keep the ratings and reviews coming. We love it. And, uh, letters at savagelandpodcast.com if you have any questions or comments. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And Mags, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. I had an absolute blast. Be cool.com. You never know.